Welcome to the Captain Employed Podcast. In this episode, I had the pleasure of talking to Theron Deris from Eschler Asset Management. In this episode, Theron provides an overview of his fund and investment style. He also talks about two stocks from his portfolio that he's optimistic will perform well over the forthcoming years. I really enjoyed listening to him and I think you will too. Before we jump into this episode, do make sure to add your email to the Capital Employed email list. We will be publishing some exclusive interviews that will only be available to those on the list. To receive these bonus episodes, please visit capitalemployed.fm forward slash exclusive and add your email to the list. Okay, on with this week's episode. Please enjoy my conversation with Theron. Hi Theron, thanks for coming on to the podcast. My pleasure. Can you provide an overview of your fund and what the investment style is? Sure. And John, thanks for having me on your podcast. Eschler is a private partnership I, I founded about a decade ago to manage my own and, and third-party capital. And perhaps just a quick note on myself. I launched uh, Before I launched Eschler, uh, I got a career at a couple um, investment banks under my belt uh, here in Europe. And it was, you know, reasonably exciting adventure, uh, but it was also sort of a safe path. And I, I think that was a reaction to a lot of financial insecurity growing up. Halfway through my career, that is to say, you know, 13 years into my career uh, on the sell side, you know, I began to really kind of appreciate, uh, you know, why why my my dad had been business in business for for himself, and it wasn't about the money; it was really about having control over over his time. And so, you know, in going out on my own and setting up Eschler, you know, it really wasn't uh, about the money for me, but really about doing what I enjoyed with my time and investing the way I wanted to. So if we fast forward to today, we're a team of three at Eschler, myself as the portfolio manager, our chief operating officer, John Price Robertson, and Matthew Anthony, who runs uh, business development. And I manage a long-term concentrated value-oriented equity fund. And we also host half a dozen managers who, who run primarily long-biased absolute return strategies on our AIFM platform. And collectively, we have about uh, just over $500 million in assets under management. From a mission perspective, you know, we really cater to three constituencies. First would be you know, nonprofits, endowments, et cetera, with a perpetual time horizon uh, that are really looking to grow real wealth. And you know, my fund has, has returned in about eight and a half years, about a thousand basis points over inflation that a fees. That's I think well in excess of what these clients target. And so I'm I'm quite excited by our potential to grow in this segment. Second, I'd say, you know, entrepreneurs who have built wealth in, for example, concentrated technology investments or private equity or growth investing in this recent financial cycle, you know, these are these are clients who who share our long-term philosophy, but I think we can help them achieve diversification by providing a more you know, liquid, value-oriented strategy with a, more of a focus on real assets. And then the third, uh, as I alluded to earlier, are, are startup uh, independent managers uh, looking to, to get off the ground, like, like me, uh, 10 years ago. I'm a bit of a soft spot for, for emerging managers, and you know, I really do enjoy helping them navigate uh, the startup uh, process. Just briefly, in terms of investment philosophy, you know, the main idea, John, is, is that the market is there to serve us. And so I want to be able to take advantage of the volatility created by its moods to, to buy assets at, at less than what they're worth. And then, you know, 
obviously be, be, be patient, uh, wait for the thesis to materialize, and then you know not sell them uh, too soon as well. And you know, I guess in the in the value tradition, I've I've, I've tended to invest a bit early, uh, then kind of tread water, and then get paid later. So that was the case in you know 2014, 15, and 16, where the fund treaded water for two years and then was up a lot in 2016, and that process repeated in 17, 18. Uh, trading water, and then the last couple of years have been great. So I guess it's you know it's the old quote from from Shelby Davis: you know you make most of your money during a bear market, you just don't know it uh, at the time. You know, la- lastly, uh, I'd say you know how we deploy the portfolio is, is worth mentioning. I think it sets us apart a bit. You know, the fund is really kind of a hybrid between a traditional long only strategy and, and and a long short strategy. So you know, unlike the you know a value fund, just a traditional long only fund. You know, we, we do have the option to, to modestly hedge the portfolio. Uh, we don't exercise it much, but I'd say it's an, an extra arrow in, in our quiver and, you know, can and has, frankly, uh, you know, added value. But, you know, unlike a long short fund, we're not just targeting low, low volatility. You know, instead, you know, the, the objective is really to, to have full cycle, you know, net returns above the equity market and, you know, tolerate market like volatility. And, and so I think that's what allows for, for you know, for the upside. Uh, optionality uh, in in the strategy. And is there any particular industries or sectors you you focus on? Sure, you know I, I think where we're a bit different from you know a lot of funds investing with a with a value philosophy is 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 where we you know tend to f- fish for for ideas. And you know I've found some success in recent years in in more cyclical industries. You know, and as, as a general rule, I'd say, you know, value managers tend to shy away, you know, for, for good reason, frankly, from, you know, for example, commodity industries. You know, my insight there is that, you know, you can still, this, this, these are still industries where you can actually still rely on reversion to the mean and you can use a normalized earnings approach. And that isn't the case in some other sectors where you've had such profound uh, change. So, you know, those are, those are proper value principles, but you do have to have a strong nerve you know, I think many investors are dissuaded, and so competition's a, a, a bit lower. And in terms of, I guess, the company characteristics I'm looking for, it's, it's strong balance sheet, above average earnings power, sort of normalized on a normalized basis, and then you know, a management team with, with skin in the game. But if I could, you know, to pick maybe one business characteristic I'm, I'm interested in right now, it's probably an ability to withstand inflation. And it's something I've, I've thought a lot about in recent years. It's, it's very rare. You know, the way governments are now applying stimulus, uh, you know, really putting money in, in people's pockets is, is quite different, right? So it makes me think uh, the money will now actually get spent in the real economy instead of sort of just sloshing around the financial markets. And I think it's that that increases the potential for more sustained inflation. And I think investors are, you know, waking up to this, uh, but I don't think many are, are positioned for it. So that's um, a big focus for for how I'm constructing the portfolio. So, you know, what, what are the types of companies that could withstand inflation? You know, I think the conventional wisdom is that you want to look for companies with, you know, with a moat and, and pricing power and whatnot. And I, I think that's sort of obvious and probably priced in. Over the next couple of years, I, I think my hunch, my hunch is that more deep value stocks can go from having no pricing power to just, you know, a little bit <laughs> will do really well because that's not priced in. You know, they'll be growing their earnings faster than growth stocks, at least temporarily. You know, you could also invest in, in, in businesses involved in mineral uh, extraction. 
you know, the problem there is you have you have high capex and you know exposure to quite a bit of cost inflation. So you know you give up some of the operating leverage that as an investor you would actually seek. So you know one one segment that fits this inflation theme that I'm thinking about a lot within the minerals area it, that I find interesting is, is royalty businesses. And um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with them, but basically the model is you know you, in a nutshell you get the upside from price inflation, uh, but you you have very low fixed costs. So you, so you basically keep uh, keep your margin. So, so if we can uh, jump into your portfolio, can you talk us through maybe two companies that you feel have good potential upside over the forthcoming years? The first stock is called EMX Royalty, and the ticker is uh, EMX, created on the New York Stock Exchange. The company has about 92 million shares outstanding, trades just over $3 a share, and has a market cap of about $270 million. They have about $54 million in, in cash and no debt. And they have that cash because they've exited successful investments, not because they've diluted shareholders. You know, as the name implies, EMX owns royalties on precious metals, copper, and uh, other sort of battery metal uh, assets. And what, what I like about this company is, is really the business model and, and the management. If you look at the precious metals industry, you know, most of the big money historically has been made through through exploration. And you know, EMX is really a, a team of geologists who, who basically, I mean, what they do is they they hunt for, for mineralized properties. They're good at identifying them. They they stake the land on the cheap. And then they they develop it and or, well or at least they they get it to the point where they can they can sell it or option it, option these these rights, mineral rights to third parties in exchange for shares in the companies, royalties, option fees, et cetera. So, so basically, they get other companies to spend money on their properties, which is a good business model. And for a company of its size, you know, EMX has assembled really an unmatched inventory of mineral rights. I think they have like over 3 million acres worldwide. For example, they're one of the largest owners of mineral rights in, in Scandinavia. They have big positions in Arizona, Nevada, Serbia, Turkey, Australia, Chile, et cetera. It's a very global company. So anyway, this this model based on you know generating organic royalties is is quite different in my view compared to many of the new entrants in this business. It's a very attractive business, so it's attracted a fair amount of competition. But these new entrants are primarily involved in competing to buy existing royalties at often you know subpar returns. In terms of the the management of EMX, the CEO is a geologist by training. And he's also very shareholder focused. And I guess that's sort of a rare, rare combination. Uh, the insiders own about uh, 15% of the company. And they've, they've, they've sort of proven they can invest counter cyclically, uh, which, is, which is valuable and necessary in this, in this industry to, to drive value. So, you know, the near term upside for the company is basically there are a couple of royalties will be entering production this year and next. Uh, you know, one is a polymetallic uh, zinc lead silver asset in Turkey. And the other is a, is a gigantic copper asset in Serbia where they have a small royalty, but it, it really adds up as this thing comes into production for, for this small company. Uh, you know, longer term, it's, it's really hard to know exactly where the value will materialize, but you know, the breadth of their, of their portfolio, I think, gives this company a lot of optionality, and that's why you, you invest in, in royalty uh, companies. In terms of the valuation, you know, it is less undervalued uh, than it was uh, you know, a, a, a year ago, but you know, I can get to the, sh- the current share price just by valuing the, the, the two royalties I mentioned, plus their, you know, their existing uh, gold royalty in Nevada, the cash, 
and putting a very modest value on their on their global mineral rights, just the land. And so this kind of leaves the potential for you know for plenty of good surprises over time from from the rest of the portfolio. I'd be remiss not to to, to mention the the risks here. This is um, a resources company. Uh, so if, if if metals turn down into a bear market, you know this company w- will not be spared. They won't go out of business though. They're, it's a strong, pretty asset light business in terms of fixed assets. And so I think over the long term, the company should be able to build and, and retain uh, shareholder value. So that's the, the first idea. I'll just uh, give you one more. The company is called uh, Psina Asset Management. The ticker is uh, PZN, also trades in New York. The company has about uh, 71 million shares outstanding, trades at uh, $10.60 per share, has a market cap of about $760 million. I actually can't find any analyst coverage on this, on this company, which is kind of interesting. But you know, as the name impl- implies, you know, Psina manages assets for, for third parties. Uh, they specialize in value investing in, I guess, what you'd call more the traditional mold. The company has about $46 billion in assets under management. So they're you know, large by the standards of uh, emerging managers like myself, <laughs> but uh, small compared to you know, the scale that's required in, in, in asset management industry, I guess. They, ha- they, they still have very high pre-tax margins. About forty-five percent, and of course they're you know quite asset light. Their assets being you know the the, the employees uh, and analysts. Uh, so it's it's actually a very simple uh, investment case, uh, John. I, you know I think the company is basically in the right place at, at the right time. You know, they have a strong culture. It was founded by the ex head of uh, research at Sanford Bernstein, Richard Zina, 13, 14 years ago, and they have a dedicated value philosophy. And I I just think that, you know as the tailwinds for value continue to increase, seeing as net net flows. Will, will improve, and that's really the the key driver for stock performance in this in this industry. And their their net flows have been kind of stable, which uh, under the circumstances is 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 not bad in, in in recent years. Like EMX that I just uh, talked about, you know, the shares are not as undervalued as they as they were, you know, back about a year ago. Well, June July of last year, they were trading at you know five times trailing earnings. Now they're more like uh, ten times. But you know, it's it's not too hard for me to get you know their current asset under management level run rate. About a dollar twenty in, in in pre-tax earnings power, I think that puts fair value for the shares, you know, closer to the mid-teens. And you know, historically, Cena's portfolio returns have averaged about ten percent. So they've actually done pretty well, even even though it's been tough for value. Uh, and that's with stable margins, and they've also paid a lot of that out to shareholders. So you know, I think over 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 the long term, the company can deliver, you know, decent low you know low double-digit uh, returns, and it's somewhat undervalued uh, today as well. The risk here, again, clearly any setback for 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 the value style, you know, would would impair the company to some extent. You know, institutional investors can be quite uh, fickle if they were to underperform their benchmarks as well. And, and of course, you know, a broader market sell-off would 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 clearly hurt hurt these shares. They are quite uh, market uh, sensitive. It's got a very good um attractive dividend yield as well. Yeah, I mean, they had to they they didn't have to, but they did cut their dividend uh, last year. But oh, I see. Uh, you know the business has already recovered. In fact, it was never impaired. And um, you know, like like many British companies here who cut their dividends, kind of as a knee jerk reaction, they'll be um, they'll be reinstating their their, their normal uh, payout policy. And yes, the dividend will be quite attractive going forward. Thanks, Theron, for sharing those two companies. Yeah, they both look very interesting. Are you uh, a keen reader of books? And um, if so, have you read any book recently that uh, you really enjoyed? I don't read as many books as I used to. I think I probably speak for for many people in that regard. I get quite distracted by uh, 
social media and other other sort of shorter shorter form <laughs> ways of consuming content. But um, I, I mean, I've I've just been reading a book called um, it's fictional called called Assassin by uh, Doug Casey, who you you may may or may not have heard of. He's sort of a maverick uh, maverick investor, uh, yeah. libertarian entrepreneur, etc. Um, and anyway, you know, the book deals with an interesting subject, basically the morality of, of political assassination of, of basically very, very bad people. The lead character is uh, this guy called Charles Knight, and he's sort of this, uh, this lone wolf pitted against the, the deep state. And it's actually the third book in a, in a trilogy. The first book is called Speculator, and the second is uh, Drug Lord. And, and they're all real page turners. Actually, Speculator is, is probably the best of, of all of the first one. So those are, those are good reads. Thanks, everyone, for coming on to the show. Where, where can um, listeners find out more about your fund and, and yourself as well? So they can sign up to our fund portal, and you can go to our website and just go to the fund portal tab and request access. And if you're a professional investor, then um, you can um, uh, learn all about our fund on our fund portal. We also have some, some information on our website at uh, www.eschlerasset.com. We also have a, a YouTube channel with a few things on there where I talk about uh, my, my philosophy, process, etc. as well. And then I'm also on, on LinkedIn. Okay, that's brilliant. Yeah, thanks, Tom, for coming on. It's been a pleasure having you on. Hopefully we can get you back on again later in the year. I'd, uh, I'd enjoy that. And again, thank you for the opportunity to, to speak with you, John.